Hey you, welcome to Evolve, a show to help you become a hero and solve the world's greatest challenges. I'm your host, Brandon Stover, founder of Plato University, and I interview social innovators, entrepreneurs, and thinkers about the global problems we face and the solutions they have created to solve them. Today's challenge, education. Our guest, H. Dean Lee, is founder of Nomadic School, which is dedicated to adolescents and young adults' exploration of the beauty, truth, and goodness within a connection to something larger than oneself. Dean currently runs a life coaching practice with a focus on self-actualization and self-realization. In other words, his work often involves the questions of the discovery and fulfillment of one's potential, as well as life's meaning and purpose. His clients range from young adults to adults and couples and come from more than 20 different countries and cultural backgrounds. And today, Dean is going to share how we can support, facilitate, cultivate, and nourish discovery to a higher self and bring meaning to a student's life. If you want to hear more interviews about the education crisis and how we can solve it, then head over to evolvethe.world slash research slash education. So as we'll be discussing education today, and much of your model incorporates the path of developing oneself, I wanted to touch a bit on your education. And I've read that you've quoted before that learning has been the love affair of your life. So formally, you received a bachelor's in economics in the 90s, but then undertook a master's in transpersonal psychology in 2014. What happened during that 20-year period in your personal development that changed your path? And how did this self-education differ from your formal education? That's an amazing question. So I did a lot of growing up between the time when I got my, my, my bachelor's, my undergraduate degree in business and economics, and the time nearly 18 years later, when I earned my, my graduate degree, my, my master's in transpersonal psychology, a big part of that was just you know, working in the business world, working for, for big companies like PricewaterhouseCoopers, Fortune 50 companies, and very small companies, video game companies, and things like that. Kind of um, as one w- would do when you graduate from from college, you you want to be out there in the world because you're 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 supposed to be preparing for work and you know so just all the excitement of you know making money and becoming financially independent and all that. So a good part was that. Then I moved to Europe from from the U.S. and t- at the end of 2007, and then I became a, a father, you know, quickly after that. Mm. So adapting to the the life uh, work and culture in, in Europe particularly in Belgium but also in other countries where I, in other countries where I worked so there, there was a it was a very steep learning curve for me to adapt well not just the culture but also you know the language as well of where I'm living so that was a very steep learning curve and then being a father at the same time for the very first time I mean those two have my hands quite full <laughs> right so that's what happened during those 18 years. But what kind of culminated in the, in the transition from my work in, in business to becoming a life coach and, and teaching psychology and to now preparing the, the start of a alternative school for teenagers, what happened there was actually the this, this seed of you can do anything you want to do, which is, I think, kind of a, a model or slogan that the Americans are quite familiar with and right. you know, people from around the world also know quite well like oh you're from from the u.s so you know if you just put your mind to it you can do anything right i mean people say that to me you know europeans and and friends from from you know who are not from the u.s but that that see really you know to grew in my mind when i was in the u.s between 1988 and 2007 and so i've i've often asked myself the question you know what what do i really want to do and that question just became bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. And I don't know if you're going to be asking about this later in the interview, but a series of, you know, things happened in my in my life, which, you know, let me to understand that my path goes far beyond just, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and, and getting the material things, uh, material success. And so I started to search for that in my, basically around my, my mid to late 20s. So after I graduated from, from college, and then that search continued for, well, for a good 10 or so years before I, I stumbled upon uh, transpersonal psychology. But then I had already kind of been preparing for my, my, my shift and 
in my career because already in my, in my late 20s, I began to study spirituality, psychology, philosophy, but also learning about many other very mundane and down-to-earth topics, such as, well, information technology, mm-hmm. you know, how to develop a, a computer system, how to program, leadership training, communication training, and, well, you know, very fun stuff for, for myself as well, filmmaking. I studied quite a number of different things, but I've, I've essentially been very thirsty to to learn, and I realized at the end of my college years that, in fact, that prior to that, or up until that point, I had been basically just trying to survive. And mm. this didn't even occur to me at 22 years old, that the reason why I did a degree in economics and business was, was to ensure my economic or my financial survival, because I, I knew I could not depend on my parents. Right. And, uh, but that, that drive to survive was so unconscious that I just kind of like, okay, just let me get my university degree. Let me get my first job so I don't have to worry about money. But then once that worry was kind of taken care of, my, my love for learning, which was always there, because I even loved traditional schools, which I guess we're going to be talking about a bit in this interview, as, as um, imperfect and as outdated as our ed- current educational system is, I loved, I loved it still. Mm-hmm. And, and when I had the freedom to, event- to eventually explore what I really wanted to learn, well, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store. So. Yeah. Well, what called you after this journey? What called you forth to start a school? I've always believed that there is a life mission for myself. And I, I constantly thought about it and dreamt about it and took all of the practical actions that I can take to find out what that is. So that meant a lot of reading, that meant taking a lot of different types of courses, that meant you know, doing all kinds of different jobs. I think at last count I've worked for at least, I don't know, nine or ten different companies. I've worked in three or four different fields from information information technology to procurement supply chain to sales. I've been a trainer. I've been a contracts manager. I mean, I've done all kinds of stuff prior to starting anew in my career as a life coach and as a as a teacher in psychology. All that's to, all that is to say that I've never stopped kind of exploring and trying to find out what what is the answer to that question is, which is what is my life mission. Hmm. And uh, when I became a father, I have two kids who are now eleven and thirteen years old. And when they were little, I I wanted to to teach them the things that I, I felt were really important. So I think play was very important. So I played a lot with my kids. But in addition to that, I spoke to them about spirituality. I spoke to them about kind of what, what I was able to understand to the best of my ability. What is the nature of life, and you know, what is the nature of, of reality? And, and through that, I, I did a lot of hands-on, pragmatic kind of teaching work with my kids. So I taught them the Chinese language, reading and writing, the piano. I taught them meditation. We did a lot of kind of, you know, also exercises, sports. So kind of marrying some of the things that I would want to learn, you know, had my parents been perhaps, you know, maybe in the same point uh, in their journey as, as I'm today, I would have wanted them to kind of introduce me to these topics early on. So I did that for my kids. And so in parallel to that, I I was quite aware that I wanted to work with people. I loved explaining things. And so I had a real kind of both, I think, uh, a talent and a desire to to explain things to people. But what to explain, right? Because I've I've worked as a math teacher (laughs) or actually a math tutor. I've taught, you know, well computer software to to people and companies and of course I've, I've taught psychology I mean I, I was really aware of that the fact that I like to explain things so I asked myself the question you know what would be a project or a mission that will combine all of the loves I have in life you know the things I like to do my strengths and it would make use of my experience mm-hmm. So I didn't want anything to go unused, I guess, from my my life journey. And one of the questions I get from people sometimes is, you know, I love to learn all these things, but what the hell is it for? (laughs) 
And so I asked myself the same question, you know, why, why would I learn about Chinese medicine and then about filmmaking and then about, well, psycho-spiritual coaching? You know, what's the relationship there, right? And it came to me that actually, as I was watching this film, it's called Captain Fantastic, that kind of gave mm. me the aha moment about this uh, father who was living in the forest with his six children. And he was teaching them everything from martial arts to survival skills, to the rites of passage, to rock climbing, to philosophy, political science, physics, languages. And I thought, that guy looks really familiar. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and I thought, well, actually, what I really want to do is to start a school like that, mm -hmm. where you know because my love for for teaching and learning went far beyond just my kids i mean i really wanted to want want to work with people and uh, so that's kind of where the idea was kind of coalesced you know by watching that film like something just came together inside of me and i was so excited yeah i was so excited and at that point in time i had already completed my my graduate studies in transpersonal psychology which introduced me to kind of this intersection of psychology, spirituality, and philosophy, whereby they ask the questions of, you know, what is the self? What is the personality? And, you know, what is the relationship between the self and the universe? How to fulfill human potential? And, you know, what does world religions have in common? And how what, how do they speak to this topic of, of the self and of God as well? So, yeah. you know, and that, that became kind of the centerpiece for, you know, the mission and vision I would have for this school. Well, before we start diving into nomadic school and the problems of traditional education, could you briefly state your mission with nomadic school? My mission with nomadic school clearly is to support, to facilitate, to cultivate, to nourish kind of this discovery of the self with a capital S, higher self, and our connection to it. Essentially, for people to connect to this, you know, true self and higher self, the lines are a bit blurred. It's not so easy to describe, you know, these concepts, you know, in a very succinct and comprehensible manner. But it's for people to connect to this, this deeply, truly true sense of self. What is the self? How do you begin to start listening to the self much like you did throughout your journey? quite a number of ways to do that but the, the simplest way is just to really try to find you know what it is is it that you really want beyond survival i mean understand that even in you know wealthy countries first world countries there are quite a few of us who are just busy trying to survive right and even when we are financially and materialistically assured it is still i guess quite easy to to get stuck in that survival um, survival uh, mentality. So the, the first thing to do, I, I would suggest, is to to go beyond that and find out what you really want beyond beyond surviving, beyond food and shelter, and beyond your egotistical needs of being recognized and being praised and loved. You know, what is it that that you truly want? And this is going to beg the question of, you know, do do you really know yourself? Because what it is it that we truly want is not something we actually decide because it comes from somewhere else hmm. it's it's not something you, you come to with a list of pros and cons some kind of rational argument that you make it is just a it is beyond the rational it it seems to come from a, a deeper part of ourselves you know definitely in my case but people are are more so i think given missions you know as a result of a combination of their life experience of the way they have kind of learn the lessons of their, their life lessons, their life experiences, and it often has something to do with their kind of primal wound or their sacred wound, something that, you know, they feel traumatized uh, by, and a mission that just feels larger than themselves, which is both scary and exciting and feels like a bit crazy. I, I really resonate with yeah. the story of your journey because... I have experienced this um, myself when I went to school for architecture and then got a career in architecture afterwards. And I was absolutely in that state of doing things to survive. 
It yeah. came from a mentality when I was younger of being poor and having a single mom and growing up in an environment that survival was the the main drive during then. And so I did really, really well in school in order to get a good job and a good career later, um, seeing that as my way to survive. But had found myself very, you know, deeply dispassionate about what I was working on, feeling like I wasn't um, making a difference in the world with the work that I was doing and had reached a depressive state. And that opened me up to hearing more from myself and eventually quitting architecture and actually spending a ton of time exploring myself and learning, returning back to the joy of learning. It's something I resonated with in your story as well, because I really, really loved learning when I was young. And after college and working in architecture for a while, I just started learning a bunch of other things as well uh, in different fields from the body to psychology, to philosophy, to technology. I started trying out a bunch of different things as an entrepreneur, seeing what I actually enjoyed and what called me forth and eventually landing back on education. And uh, I'm focusing on higher education, but Mm -hmm. your quote about this mission being both exciting and scary, uh, something that's challenging you, but also bringing you lots of fulfillment is something that I've personally experienced. Well, you know how it is. Well, to help our listeners understand uh, the problem from first principles, what are the root or core problems with traditional education? I took a few courses at the Institute uh, for Human Education, which I highly recommend and love. And I took a kind of a systems theory type course there and uh, the way they explain it it made a lot of sense to me but um, basically the the system is going to function according to the purpose for which it was designed so and if you look at the current industrial age model of education the purpose for which it was designed is to um, produce workers and you know i'm probably like the the 10,000th person to to say this because a lot of people have already said this but indeed, that's true. So, you know, the system kind of asks questions such as, you know, how do you fit into the system, right? So you're not here to change the system, but you're here to fit in. Mm. So students are more looked at as passive recipients and to be orderly and to be controlled. And the system also asks, you know, how are you going to contribute to the system? So if the system is designed, so embedded within the economic system is the edu- educational system and the educational system is thought to anchor the economic system, if you will. And the economic system itself is there to, well, to, to grow indefinitely as companies, this fictional entity has ostensibly, you know, more power than, than, than governments. So their, their aim is to grow and to benefit their, their shareholders and they need the raw human resources to, to feel that growth, that indefinite and interminable growth. So how are you going to contrib- contribute to that system? Right. And so that's one of the things the educational system is designed to, to do, is to get you to think you know, hard about you know, what, is the, what is the job that you're going to do, and right. uh, do you have the skills to do that, right? And they kind of, kind of pigeonhole you or kind of put you in a category like you're either a bioengineering major or you are a mathematics major or you're an arts major but what if i'm both you know what if i'm a bio <laughs> arts engineering major right yeah like they don't give you that kind of organic approach to to learning and studying and then i would say the third problem is the one of the problems is that that they have a one-dimensional evaluation of the human potential so mm-hmm. human potential is understood as kind of your intellectual power, you know, how well are you able to memorize, how well are you able to calculate or critique. It really sharpens the kind of the intellect of the the psychological faculty, of which there are many other aspects, you know, the imaginary, the creative, the, the feeling, emotional aspects, the intuitive and the physical aspects sensational or sensorial i guess maybe that's mm-hmm. the better word but they they really only sharpen the intellectual aspect of the psychological psychological faculty and therefore 
we only have a one-dimensional development of, of our, our potential, which becomes very lopsided. And it becomes self-evident the further we look on to the kind of um, people we quote-unquote produce because kind of a factory-style approach to, to education, the kind of people we produce for, for companies, for governments, they all think in a highly kind of organized and, you know, kind of military industrial complex approach to, you know, conquering the market, conquering the natural world. Right. It is all about competition and is kind of, I think because of the, the, the time and age from which uh, the educational system has evolved, especially during the times of Darwin, I think is in the 19th century, if I'm not wrong with my timeline, you know, that one of his theories about the survival of the fittest that, that was, I think, usurped by, by, well, you know, people with power to, to kind of enforce us, okay, well, this is, you know, going to be kind of the, uh, the bedstone for how we, for how we look at our world, for how we um, devise our systems. And, you know, it becomes very much the survival of the fittest kind of approach to education and to work, to everything. So, so people are, in one way or another, constantly um, feeling threatened, whether it's for their job or the company's feeling threatened from uh, their competitors. It's all about competition. It's all about survival. So um, I think one of the biggest problems with the current educa educational system is that its emphasis is on survival. It's on mm. competition. It is has a lopsided approach to the understanding and development of human potential. Embedded in Nomadic School's mission, as you were mentioning before, is to have learners, educators, and their families wrestle with these fundamental questions of life. How has traditional education lost its way in supporting this exploration? I think traditional education is very much um, informed by the materialist, rationalist view of the world, of which the only thing that matters is, what's is what is tangible and material, and all that which is not in, which is not tangible and immaterial are are relegated to superstition or, you know, something to be dealt with you know, by maybe by your the religious organizations or who knows what. So why am I saying this? Yeah. So so essentially, school again is thought of as a, thought of as a place for for people to to deal with the what's tangible what's material and and the uh, second meaning of the word material important right what is important and what is regarded as important is is what is being regarded as important by the system and what system is that right so that system is the economic system towards which the economic structure is a well is basically a factory for this 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 economic system so the questions of, of love you know, too hard to measure, too difficult to, to talk about. Well, why, why would we even bother with that in school? Mm. And, you know, the, the question of God, you know, too much trauma from, from our, our past history, and, and rightfully so. But then, you know, the baby gets thrown out with the, the bathwater and no talk about spirituality, which is not the same as religion. And then many other topics that, that could be important, such as, our potential, such as our our identity. What is the uh, solution and new model of the nomadic school that you're proposing as an alternative to this traditional model we've been speaking of? Well, first, I think the the model itself. There has to be well, in, in our model for nomadic school. There's a a transdisciplinary. Kind of connection to this question of self, the question of who am I? So, whatever it is that we propose for the students to study in nomadic school, we want to somehow tie it back to this question of self, the question of the relationship between the self and the world. And when I say world, I don't mean just human societies and the planet, I mean everything in the universe. So, and so, whereas the model in traditional schools is very much about kind of the development of skills for the the end for for the end of well career career competitiveness, 
that those kind of things for nomadic school, the model facilitates your discovery and exploration and eventually the 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 journey of finding your path and living your, your mission. So mm-hmm. the model that I believe is going to help us do that is well, first and foremost, experience, experiential learning. And by that, I mean that anything we learn is going to have a lot of you experience it yourself. So if I take the example, let me think of a, a good example. If we're going to be learning about the, the reality that you have multiple aspects to who you are as a person, we won't just be reading about it from a textbook about personality theory. We're actually going to have you investigate this inner reality that the personality within you is composed of more than just one part, hmm. right? So you're going to do a lot of reflection. You're going to be doing maybe different creative activities from dancing to singing to scientific investigation of certain phenomenon to understand that there are different parts to who you are. And so that's very experiential. So that's one of the, the first principles. The second principle would be that as much of the learning as possible would be we would invite the students to be self-directed and, and intrinsically motivated mm-hmm. so that we are, if we do impose some kind of structure or curriculum, which we are and we will, but we try to do it in a way that's very skillful and flexible and organic. So, so for example, if one, one of the things that we want the, the students to, to learn is to learn about the relationship between different things, right? Between economics and sociology, between sociology and the sciences, for example. So sure. in phenomenon-based learning, we might say, tell us a topic that you want to know more about and then investigate the the reality or the explanation behind this phenomenon. For example, a student might say, well, I'm interested in why the divorce rate is so high in, in our society. And by investigating this phenomenon, they will touch on the economic realities of how hard parents have to work and that they don't have time for each other. Hmm. They're going to find out about the psychological reality of how many adults are not mature, in fact, even if they are making a living, but they haven't grown up yet emotionally, they might end up exploring about the question of love, meaning what is the essence of love and what constitutes and guarantees the a healthy continuation of a relationship between two, two adults and what role does love have to play in that. So by this investigation of a simple phenomenon of why is the divorce rate so high in society, they can touch on already on economics, on careers, on personal development and on something that's related to philosophy and even spirituality, of course. Mm. So so we want students to be intrinsically motivated and take charge and direct their own learning to some extent. And this is one of the questions that we wrestle with, which is how tightly to hold the structure for the students. Yeah. And for, for me, as much as I, I respect and admire the courage of the approach of democratic schools or you know Summerhill schools and things like that like for me that's one end of the spectrum where students have complete freedom and choosing what they want to do and compare that to the other end of the spectrum where you have little to no choice in what you learn and how you do it and we want to strike that balance and give as much to invite as much of the intrinsic kind of will of the student to get involved in their own learning process. So if they don't have a say in what they learn, they at least have a say in how they do it. Sure. Could, could you give an example maybe of what a typical day for a student at nomadic school might look like? Yeah. So a typical day uh, would begin with just people connecting to each other. So uh, relationship is kind of the third principle that I have yet to, to talk about and, and how the learning model would be different at nomadic school. But but I won't talk about that for now. I'll just talk about what the day-to-day will look like. So the day-to-day, we would begin the day by connecting to each other. And that means that we would take some time. It might be half an hour. It might be a little bit more, 45 minutes, an hour maybe, to 
to share what it is we want to share from our personal lives. Maybe something happened yesterday in somebody's family. Maybe someone had a dream that they thought was very interesting that they wanted to share. And so have that time to, to talk to each other on a very personal level and then do something to connect with each, each other. So not just talking and sharing, but probably doing some kind of physical activity, which could be some kind of dance, some kind of exercise to move the body and to wake up the whole, the whole person, basically. Mm-hmm. So we would take the time to connect, to start our day. And then, and then what we would do after that is we would tackle the topic or topics for the day and here we are inclined, or at least I am inclined, to not stuff five or six different topics into the learning process throughout the day. It is quite possible through one course itself to touch on many different subject matters, but not the way traditional schools do, where you have one hour of math, one hour of English, or you know whatever language, and an hour of science, and an hour of history. Sure. So we would be more inclined to take the Montessori approach, at least in the the early years to to the 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 early years where students have three R blocks to really get into what it is they want to learn. So that, in terms of time, we would give students uh, a lot of time to to get into the topic. Now, what is that topic going to be, right? And here we're also going to be different from I think the great majority of the schools in that. If the topic for the day or for the week is, let's say, about nutrition, about food, because nomadic school does not have an actual physical school, and a lot of it would be in person, we would go to the relevant places for students to learn about nutrition and food. We might be going to visit the kitchen of a local restaurant. We might be going to the local farm, to the local supermarket and even visit a, a nutritionist's office. So going to the rel- relevant places to have discussions related to the things that we're learning about. Hmm. And uh, so that could take the whole afternoon, I mean, the, whole, the rest of the morning and the whole afternoon. And so we will have a schedule that's somewhat dynamic because one day to the next, or the, from one week to the next, it, it might not be the same lo- location that we would be to, to do our learning. Other than that, obviously, as we will move about as a group, and we would even have trips to, to different cities, to different countries, that will all be part of the nomadic school approach to learning. But outside of that, we would not have a rigid five-day-a-week um, schedule to, to, to run the school. What, what I mean by that is that it might just so happened that this week we're going to be doing a few days of learning at home and we actually will allot time for students to to do some independent learning and, and have them choose what it is that they want to learn and follow those courses themselves. Mm-hmm. So for example, there are a number of really, I think, great online learning platforms out there, two of which that I, I use personally that I like a lot is Masterclass and Mind Valley, hmm. and so those are just two examples, and I'm sure there are other good ones. But students can choose what online course they want to follow, and if it's not an online course, maybe they will choose to do a, who knows, a pottery class locally that they want to follow by themselves. So students will have time to learn independently and individually uh, a topic that they want that they choose on the days where we don't quote unquote have school. And so again, there is no physical location to report to, per se. And my understanding and our understanding is that learning is happening all the time anyway. So we're not going to confine learning to a very narrow concept. And we're going to have days where students can can do everything from home. And then there are going to be days where we're going to be on the road for maybe for for seven days. So yeah, yeah, that's essentially the day-to-day. Okay. With this flexibility, I I know you have to balance the flexibility with also the requirements like of, of running the school and being able to facilitate these different interactions and experiences. What challenges are you facing right now in trying to bring the nomadic school into reality? Okay, so the, the question is, what challenges am I facing in trying to 
bring the school to reality. Yeah. What, what kind of challenges? You mean just practical challenges or challenges related to administration? And like, what level of challenge are you, are you talking about specifically? Yeah, I mean, so the, the school hasn't come to fruition yet and you are um, currently trying to get your first students. I'm, yes. I'm wondering what the challenges are for you to maybe explain this model to families and, and prospective students and then being able to actually facilitate this uh, level of flexibility that you're describing. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. I think the, the core challenge for, for me right now is, whereas the vision is quite clear, the actual concrete program itself, the full-time program that would be good for a year, two years, or three years, like those kind of details I'm having, you know, that, that takes a lot of effort and, and thoughtfulness to, to pull together. I would say that is really the, the core challenge. I think beyond that, people I, I speak to, parents specifically that I speak to about this vision and this model of education, people either say, what? Or they love it. <laughs> so for those who are like, what is this? You know, like, you know, they're just kind of shocked out of their, their, their shoes. For those, you know, my challenge is going to be to kind of show them that that there is a path to the things that your children are going to want to do. It may or may not be through university education mm. because nomadic school in all likelihood is, well, I would say I don't know if it's going to comply to state standards right yeah. so i'm based in belgium and belgium has a well their their requirements legal requirements for what, what a student must do by the end of their secondary education which is equivalent to high school in the united states and so how are we going to help students to to earn this certification that you know they indeed have passed high school so that's a question that i'm going to need to be able to answer for for the parents who are interested but are a little bit scared for like okay where's this going to lead to so that needs to be be worked out still and uh, and also probably i mean i want to offer reassurance but I, i'm not here to convert the the non-believers i think sure. people who see value and who see who resonate with the vision of nomadic school are going to say okay let's do it right but let me let me offer them some some assurance in terms of okay there's still a path forward that your child will be able to find, you know, toward their careers, towards maybe starting their own companies, towards, I don't know, apprenticeship, internship programs, and and so on and so forth. So they feel like, okay, not only will my child or children develop fully as a human being, but there is there is going to be a way for for them to to attain social financial independence, you know, mm -hmm. after after nomadic school. So that, that, that's certainly um, going to be a challenge for, for us to, to demonstrate that. And then beyond that, I think the question is going to be financial because without the support, financial support of the government, who on the one hand will give you money, but only if you follow their rules, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want to be, have our hands tied behind our back. So we won't take money from from any sources that's going to compromise the vision of the school and therefore that question has to be answered you know where is the money going to come from and how can we make the school equitable and accessible to all those who are interested and so i think that's going to be the challenge but other otherwise i think finding people is going to be a problem interested families i think people are are, are ready for this kind of education yeah I'm not saying the majority of people, but I'm saying enough people are, are interested where I, I don't have any doubts that, you know, we're going to have our, our first cohort up and running. Well, I would guess within a year, but yeah, the, the question is, how do I answer, you know, these very down to earth questions? I wanted to return back to this idea of helping uh, facilitate a learner finding meaning to their life and purpose and in your writing, you state that learning is the process to facilitate the search for one's place in the world and be of mm -hmm. true service. And I believe that 
also makes learning meaningful to the learner because you're connecting what the learner cares about in their internal world with what is maybe needed by the collective in the outer world. Uh, mm -hmm. How does this change the learner, this process? How does this change the learner and bring purpose or meaning to their life? When you do know your place in the world, that in itself has infinite meaning and it has infinite meaning in the sense that it brings you an inexhaustible kind of source of energy. When I say energy, I mean both psychological energy and even physical energy for you to to get up every morning and just can't wait to get your day started, basically. Mm. You know, that people talk about when I can't just wait to get up because there are all these things I want to do throughout the day and the day just seems too short to do all the things I want to do. That's when you can be sure that you are on the path. Mm. That you are connected to your purpose and that in some way you know you are finding your place in the world what what sort of frameworks or maybe activities are you helping the children with to facilitate this yeah well i, I really like the the model that is uh, proposed by bill plockin who wrote the book um, nature and the human soul and his other book uh, soulcraft and he proposes a, a psycho-spiritual model of development. And he talks about, well, he gave very, very good examples, which I, I resonate with, and I'll, I will share them here. Well, you have to answer a few very real questions for yourself. One of, one of which is, what kind of people do I enjoy being with, right? Because mm -hmm. this could be your friends. I think back to the days when I was... And junior high and high school, I love to hang out with the nerds. <laughs> I love to hang out with the gangsters. And I like to hang out with the jocks as well. So mm. they were all my people. And I, I, I found each group interesting. And I found something within each of them that I could connect to. And so the first question is, you know, what kind of, what kind of social scene do you belong to? And um, kind of being able to, to, yeah, find your place socially first. Because... That in turn helps you to define who you are authentically because for for teenagers, and this is really the group that I'm, I'm looking to work with through nomadic school, it's not, you know, children, it's not adults, it's really teenagers and people in their, maybe in their early 20s, so young adults, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the, the period at which we are looking to define an authentic self and the authentic self has to also be um, serviceable for the social situations in which we find ourselves, be it school, be it work, be it family. And so finding our place, one of the first questions to answer is, what kind of people do I belong, belong with? How do I relate to them? And what do they bring out in, in me? And then in turn, I would be exploring... The, the values, the principles that a young person has. Eric Erickson talks about this as well, the, the well-known psychologist. And and so at this age, again, at the, the, the phase of the adolescence, people are either looking for something to support or something to re rebel against. Either way, they're looking to to uh, define and shape, you know, what it is that they believe in and, they, and, and what it is behind which they want to give their support. You know, they want to kind of put their weight behind it. So looking for some kind of a cause that they they resonate with. But through that understanding, okay, you know, what do I really care about? Is it about, you know, about equality? Is it about animal rights? Is it about, you know, woman rights? Is it about children's rights? Is it about protecting nature? Is it about expressing beauty in the world? You know, what, what is it that I really care about? So really kind of find your values, find your principles, find find out what it is that you really want to connect with and, and, ex, and further explore. Mm -hmm. So finding your place has a lot to do with, with that as well. But then beyond that, I think if I refer back to kind of my, my own examples, 
because I, 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 I've lived, I grew up in Taiwan and then, and then later I lived in Los Angeles uh, and then later in San Francisco. Like I, I had a direct re response to the places that I was living. I knew what place I liked and what place I didn't. So, and uh, even if you haven't, you know, lived outside of your own home country, if you have moved at all, you know, from one house to another house, in my life, I've moved, I don't know, I've lived in like 20 different houses, which is crazy. <laughs> like you have a direct physical response to the place that you live in. So, you know, do you like the place that you live in? Like I, I hated Los Angeles because it was too much driving, it was too much commuting, it was concrete city, you know, no nature within the city itself. One had to drive uh, an hour to go, go to the beach or go to the mountains. So what kind of place inspires you? Where do you want to live? That's also finding your place in the world. Is it in, you know, is it in the forest? Is it in um, a hustle and bustle city of, sky, of skyscrapers? Is it a sprawling uh, suburb like Los Angeles? You know, where do you want to live? Where do you want to be? And so that's also a very tangible question that you know, people can ask themselves. And that inevitably will help you understand, you know, who you are as well. And I found that... I felt like I found my place when I moved to Belgium because this place combined San Francisco. It had a bit of Asia as well, you know, not literally speaking, but just some of the uh, feelings I would have. Sure. And so that's another question. And uh, well, and, and there are other things as well, you know, finding a place in the world necessarily involves, you know, what are your, what is your strength? What are your talents? Because... Not because you're so altruistic and you care so much about other people, but just people are naturally self-interested. They want to learn about, you know, they just want to learn about the things they want to learn about. Like they, they won't even be able to give you a straight answer about that. It's like, right. like my daughter just wants to learn to play the guitar because why? There's no why. She just wants to do it. So she does it. So, and then when you have that innate urge or innate drive to, to learn something, as I did in my 20s, to learn about drawing and painting well, I did it, and it was very satisfying. And there were certain fruits that I've harvested from my process of learning to draw and paint. And that later became something important for my vision for education. So, you know, there's a series of kind of turn of events, if you will, just from exploring what it is that you're good at. But mm. students don't, people or teenagers don't ask themselves that question, what am I good at? Well, they might ask themselves that question, but mostly they act at a very kind of subconscious or unconscious level. Like they just want to, you know, go do stuff. Right. Like they're all, they're all about action. It's all about the experience. Like enough talk, shut up, let's go do this, you know? So I will run out of time before I run out of questions. Uh, so I have, <laughs> I have a few more, but yeah. with all that we have discussed today, it would be a crime not to ask, what do you believe is the meaning of life? The, the meaning of life is, is going to come to you when, when you are, 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 are searching for it, when you are living the big questions, big questions being, you know, what is love and, you know, what is God and what is that? What, what am I here for? Like that, the meaning of life is going to come to you when you try to live those questions through very concrete experiences through working, getting jobs, through getting married, getting divorced, having kids, you know, starting your own business, all these things. You got to live your life 100% authentically and and interact with life itself in order to to find the answers for these questions to the extent that that it satisfies you. And because you're going to change, you know, what's going to satisfy you is going to change as well. So, it's a it's an unending process. And so for me, the meaning of life comes from, from living these big questions. Before I get to my last question, is there a call to action you'd like to leave our listeners with? I would love it if the listeners would check out Nomadic School. The website is www.nomadicschool.org, O-R-G. And that if you <clears throat> resonate with with this vision that I have for education, if you somehow want to either participate as a uh, learner, as a parent, as a facilitator or, or teacher, 
or as a as a funder, well, I would love it for for you to have a look at the website, to contact me. Even though we're primarily running the school in person, I'm very much in contact with with people from around the world, from Mexico, from India, from the U.S., from China, so that Nomadic School can also be started independently in these different locations. And and, and through this network of, of Nomadic Schools, we will have online projects and activities, one of which we're, we're, we're going to be piloting in January, which is a, as an initiative where we have adolescents from different countries around the world talk to each other about these big questions, about mm. love, about God, about death, and different things. And so there's an online component to nomadic school as well. So don't be dissuaded if you're not in Belgium, because, well, I would love to connect with you anyway. And uh, I think nomadic school, one of the many answers that are coming up for for how the world needs to evolve in order, well, I think in order for, for more important things to reveal itself. So yeah, thank you for, for asking, Brandon. Yes, well, we'll put uh, links to all of that in the show notes for everyone. My final question is how can we push the world to evolve? Yeah, well, I think the answer for that would be quite simple. And we have to evolve ourselves because our ability to make an impact is necessarily limited by our by our, our own process of evolution uh, and transformation. So, yeah, if we're if we're not digging deep, if we're not looking to grow, looking to learn, looking to really experience life at the deepest level possible, we we, we cannot push anything really. So we have to be able to push ourselves first. Well, wonderful, Dean. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I said, I have many more questions, but I think uh, maybe after you have some traction with nomadic school and uh, have put some of these thoughts in implementation, would love to have a round two down in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you for listening to the Evolve podcast. Links to everything we discussed today are available in the show notes. Transcripts are also available in the show notes. And everything can be viewed on our website at evolvethe.world. That's evolvethe.world. My one ask for you is to share this episode with others. If you know someone who is interested in social impact, social entrepreneurship, or just making a difference in the world, please share this episode with them. The challenges in our world need all of those who can contribute to existing solutions or create entirely new ones. So please share this show with those kind, intelligent people who are just like you. Until next time, my friend, keep evolving.